Hey, friends. Are you familiar with the most trusted business network for business executives? It's the C-Suite Network. If you're a business of $5 million or greater, and if you're a VP level or higher, then you're invited to join the C-Suite Network to connect with your business peers. Go to c-suitenetwork.com, that's a c-suitenetwork.com, to learn more about the benefits, meetings, and services exclusive for C-Suite executives like you. Okay, let's do the show. It's time to accelerate. Hi, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 447 of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record, where I hold in-depth conversations with today's leading experts in sales, marketing, and leadership six days a week. So be sure to go to iTunes, subscribe, leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. Are you and your sales team in a sales slump? I mean, if you're struggling with how to get your sales back on track, then you need to go to accelerate.fm forward slash spark, S-P-A-R-K, and get my new free ebook, How to Spark a Sales Turnaround. In the course of conducting interviews for the show, I've asked over 300 experts how they would turn the corner on slumping sales, and I've compiled the recommendations into a practical step-by-step guide that you can use to accelerate your sales today. So don't wait. Go to accelerate.fm forward slash spark to get your free copy now. Joining me on the show today is David Hoffeld sales trainer, founder of thehoffeldgroup.com, and author of the new best-selling book, The Science of Selling. Now, as a whole, sales, sales management, sales training, we've sort of grown up these businesses really largely driven by anecdote, not science. But in the past several decades, neuroscientists, social psychologists, and behavioral economists have filled in the gaps of our knowledge about how people are influenced and how they make decisions. And David's done a great job of summarizing the science and making it accessible to everyone in his new book, The Science of Selling. So before we dive into that, David, take a minute, tell us a bit about you and how you got your start in sales. Many years ago, in fact, it's an interesting story because I'm going to date myself here when I say that I went into the profession of selling by answering a newspaper ad. I had just gotten uh, my master's. What's that? Yeah, I I don't even remember. It was so long ago. It's a newspaper ad. I just got my master's degree and I needed the job. And so I, I thought, you know what, I'm, I'm sure I can sell something. So I, I make some quick money over the summer. So I went and, and looked, and there was an ad in the paper. It said, no experience necessary. Make $100,000 your first year. And I was, I was taken back. I said, well, this is perfect because I have no experience. And I would love to make $100,000 my first year. <laughs> Sounds like, like a dream, right? It's an answer to prayer, absolutely. So I said, I got a call. So I called up, went down, they hired me. And what happened, long and short of it was, I fell in love with the profession of selling. And uh, well, did you uh, make many, 100, many years later, here I am. Did you make 100000 your first year? Not with that company. I was actually, <laughs> I found out that... As I got in about my second month, I started, you know, figuring out that no one on the entire sales floor was making a hundred thousand right. dollars. But then I at, yeah, another company in this similar industry opened a new office and uh, I went over there, I became their top salesperson, and then I made uh, uh into the six figures. So my first full year, yes I did, but not with the original company that I that I put that ad out. That ad was a little misleading. Yeah, yeah, you think. So uh what were you selling? Uh, that I was selling real estate, so I okay. went, that's how I got my feet wet 
in selling. And then later on, I got into the B2B space selling um, software. And then I sold training for a Microsoft product called SharePoint. Oh, yeah. And um, yeah, at one point I had, boy, about 75% of the Fortune 500 companies were my clients. So that was really, I really love that. That really lit my passion for selling even more, was working with some of these big, complex companies and helping them make large buying decisions. Okay. Well, you've you've published an interesting new book, and you know November two thousand sixteen it came out, so it's been about half a year. So, what was the impetus to write this book? Well, many years ago, I stumbled on an academic journal in social psychology, which is literally defined as the scientific study of how human beings are influenced in a social setting. And I read it out of curiosity, and I saw an article that I thought could be applicable to what I did every day as a salesperson. So I applied it and I saw some results from it. And so then I shared it with the others on my sales team and they got some results. And so that really created the hunger. And I started getting a very odd hobby. And that is I began reading academic journals on the nights and weekends and I became actually obsessed with it. And I, and the more I read these journals that disclosed how the brains, our brains make choices and the factors that influence us and shape perception, I just kept seeing how applicable this was to selling. And, and so I kept applying it and I started getting results. The company, uh, I moved up, become their VP of sales and we then become one of the fastest growing companies in the United States on the Inc. 5000 list. And I said, boy, more people have to know about this. And so I launched my firm in 2009. And after about 10 years of research, uh, the book came out just this last November, and it's based on over a thousand different scientific studies that really reveal how our brains make choices. And it helps us align how we sell with literally how the brain buys. Okay. So the first thing that's sort of interesting is, is you know, for a lot of people in sales today, the science of selling is all about the data. And... You've written a book that's really not sort of the opposite approach. It's, it's really about how we process information to make decisions and how we're influenced to do that. So it seems like at some point we're going to have to start reconciling these two, though, right? And they, they can be merged together really well. Because imagine if you're, because even when you're looking at data, you have to make some assumptions. Where are you going to start? What are you going to test? And why test those things versus other options that you could test? And so what this science shows us is it pulls back the layers and allows us to literally understand how our brains perceive things. And so armed with this science, it allows you to do A-B testing and make better tests that allow you to cut through a lot of that trial and error, which can be very expensive and costly, and allow you to become more effective much more quickly. So yeah, it's, it's an astounding. There is now thousands of scientific studies out there in so many disciplines like social psychology, cognitive psychology, neuroscience, behavioral economics, that is so powerful, it's just too potent to ignore. Well, and this has really been a revolution that really took hold after World War II. You know, Herbert Simon and other people, they're sort of the pioneers of that whole field. But one of the bottom lines you talk about in your book is that we're all influencers, right? I mean, that is the mission of sales. But, but you know, we, that's, as Daniel Pink said about his book, what, 75% of people identify themselves as being influencers, right? Part of their job is to influence others to do or take certain actions, Exactly right. All of us are influencers. We're trying to, what is influence real quickly? It's guiding people and taking what you say seriously and being willing to act on it. So regardless of your profession, we are influencing others every day. In fact, it's ingrained in communication. You can't not 
influence others. And so as sales professionals, we're professional influencers. We're trying to influence people to give us an audience, to to give us some of their time, to open the doors, begin relationships, listen as we talk about our products and services. And so we are trying to influence people left and right. And the great thing is there's a science to it. We don't have to guess our way to success. We can now lean heavily on this science and we can be predictable. And that's what this is all about because I have found the closer your way of selling is aligned with how the brain makes a buying decision, the more successful you'll be. And the further away your way of selling is from how the brain makes a buying decision, (laughs) the less successful you'll be. So this is literally the foundation of selling. It's literally success or failure. Well, yeah, the thing is we've just been – it's been this way all the way along, but as you said, we've just been sort of unknowingly testing our way to yes. find what succeeds or not. Whereas now, through your work and the work of the, <laughs> the research scientists and so on, as we're now saying, hey, this is proven science. You know, this is not guesswork when it comes to psychology and you know, behavioral economics and so on. I mean, people have won Nobel Prizes, multiple people won Nobel Prizes on this. So, so it's like getting us away from the world of anecdote. And that's, that's where it seems like so much of sales is, you know, it's oral tradition, it's passed down from generation to generation, it's anecdote about what works, what doesn't work. But, as you said, there is science, neuroscience, social psychology, behavioral economics behind the whole thing. Yes, and this science discloses reality. So it's not a question of if we're going to leverage it or not. Every time any of us enter into a selling situation, it's front and center. We're, we're in it. It's just if we don't realize some of these principles from science, we can often unknowingly contradict it. And that's one of the alarming things. One of the biggest reasons why we wrote the book is that we saw how salespeople unknowingly were entering into selling situations and conflicting with these basic principles, and it drives down their performance. And once you know some very simple, very practical things, you can become instantly more effective, regardless of your experience level. Because what I found is I have, I'd always been successful in selling before I got into the science, but once I got into it, I realized that there were some things I could improve on. All of us can get better. And I also realized that now I understood what was happening. It wasn't this mystery anymore. I knew what was going on when I was selling, and now I could adapt. I could customize what I was doing to my unique buyer. Why? Because I understood the principles that undergird the entire process of selling. So it made me more flexible and allowed me to really better serve my buyers, which increases results. Yeah, well, I think that, and one of the key points that I wanted to bring out in this is, and I took away from your book, is that, uh, you know, there's been reports out, like, you know, Forrester had a report saying, hey, by 2020, 20% of business to business salespeople are going to be gone, you know, replaced by automation or whatever. But you make the point that really the opposite is true. And I think we're seeing some of this begin to take hold that, that you know, use the term a technology saturated world, that salespeople are becoming more essential than ever. So, Why is that? Yes, because human relationships still matter. We're nowhere near the point with AI or any other technology that it can even come close to replicating a human person. We still want that relational influence. Certainly, our buyers are getting 
further along in through the sales process on their own. They're looking at our websites, they're analyzing our competitors, but there comes a point, unless you're selling something very simple, very low risk, that people want to talk to another person. They want to have, they have questions they want answered. They want to understand something. And so it's at that point when the salesperson enters, that's mission critical. Now, we also have to recognize that because of this changing landscape, selling is very challenging today because as I just described, Every time you enter a selling situation, more often than not, you're in a hyper-competitive environment because your potential customers know about your main competitors. And when I first mm -hmm. got started in selling, a lot of my customers didn't know who my competitors were. And so it, it gave me an advantage. That day is gone. Yeah. yeah, when I got started, they would ask me. <laughs> That's how they found out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so you can shape their perception of it. Now they walk in saying, oh, no, we're talking to you. We were also talking to ABC company and XYZ company. And so now it's hyper competitive. So now what you do as a seller matters more than ever because it's not the best product or service that wins. It's the best salesperson. Why? Because all the research points to this, the perception they have of your company or your product or service, they get from you, meaning mm -hmm. you are the company, you are the product or service. If you come across as trustworthy, research conclusively shows they're far more likely to trust your company and your product or service, that it's reliable. If you come across as untrustworthy, well, they're far more likely now to disqualify your company or product or service. Why? Because of you. So the way you sell matters, and this presents a huge way to differentiate in how you sell. And that's why I'm so passionate about this science, because it allows us to better serve our buyers. And in today's hyper-competitive marketplace, it allows us to differentiate in a very unique and very meaningful way. Yeah, and the flip side of that is that, you know, the science also shows, though, that perceptions are very sticky. And that, you know, it's very difficult to change people's perceptions, even in the face of data that says so. So, to your point is if you are the point of differentiation, but you're not bringing it every time, right? I mean, this is the thing I think that that's one of the things I took away from your book and other research that I've done is that you've those perceptions are are being formed in an instant. You know, 250 milliseconds is what it takes to for somebody to form a perception of somebody. It's like, you know, if you're not bringing it from the beginning, then they could their perception of you could be negative within the first two seconds, three seconds, and you could be done. You're absolutely right. In fact, behavioral scientists call it a confirmation bias. And what this says is once we get an impression of a person, a situation, a company, a product, uh, we interpret everything, every subsequent piece of information or anything that happens through that lens. And so it heavily skews us one way or another. So you're exactly right. And the great thing is when you learn some of the science, it shows you how does our brain form that perception in a matter of seconds. And it's alarming how, how quickly we can form an impression of someone and how difficult it is to change that. But if you know some basic principles, how, when you understand how the brain does that, now you can set yourself up for success. And that can make sometimes little things can make a profound impact on performance. Like a smile. Mm. I mean, I, I can't remember if that was in your book or something else I just read recently. But you know, the power of a smile on a first yep. engagement with somebody is 
substantial. I mean, it really is. Yeah, yeah, we talk about that in the book real briefly. A smile is something so simple, but it does some profound things real quickly. One study found that at a trade show, when, when attendees met with salespeople and companies, one of the key factors that influenced how they viewed the salesperson and the company they met with at the trade show was whether or not the salesperson smiled. Smiling makes you appear more approachable. One research study found it makes you even seem more competent. Competency levels go up when you smile. Also, we often think that we smile when we feel good. But what research also shows is that when you smile, you feel good. Here's what they found, that the act of smiling actually influences your body chemistry. That mm -hmm. smiling increases blood flow to the brain, which cools the brain and creates feelings of pleasure. So you actually put you in a more positive emotional state by doing something as forcing yourself to smile. Because when you smile, you feel better. It literally cools your brain. Yeah. So, I mean, think about something that we see so often in, in sales training these days. I said, to a point we talked about earlier, hey, customers, your buyers are increasingly busy and this is a hyper-competitive world. And we're training sales reps not to do small talk. Mm. You know, not to engage per on a personal level right up front. And as you talk about, that's, that's really counterproductive. I mean, that clashes with how they want to buy. It is. In fact, this is one piece of the science that I was not happy when I found because I, in my past, I always liked to jump right into it. I don't mm -hmm. have time for small talk. That was what I used to think. And I was hit with this research, many studies that have found that when you have a few minutes of small talk or a warm-up before a sales call or negotiation, the research is pretty conclusive in this area. The likelihood of having a positive outcome on that sales call or negotiation significantly increases. So this is one area that I said, okay, am I going to do what I want to do or am I going to conform to the truth of science? I always follow the science. So this is one area of my sales process many years ago that I shifted the way I thought because I was clearly wrong. My preferences weren't getting me the results that I wanted. And I found that that's true. Even Now, some people certainly want to get into it faster, but even having a, a 30 seconds or 20 seconds, if they're really in a hurry, of a brief warm-up rapport still makes a difference. You might not perceive it. And that's one thing, uh, regardless of your perceptions, science tells us what reality is, right? And so we follow that, and it helps us boost our results. Well, and the thing that, one of the things that comes out of the, the small talk, and Cialdini talks about this in his latest book, is that you then start engaging, you start giving the impression to the buyer that you like them, or they start getting the impression that you like them. And as he talks about in this latest book is, you know, we know about people like to buy from people they know, like, and trust, but the fourth factor is they like to buy from people they think like them. Mm -hmm. So unless yeah. you start dealing on that personal level, you're never going to get that second like in there, which is really essential. That's that's a key point. In fact, we talk about this when, when you say, how do you build rapport? There's some pretty compelling, numerous research studies have found that one of the top ways to build rapport is to show other people that you like them. Because if you think about, just picture someone in your mind right now who you neither like or dislike, and you're kind of indifferent to. But now imagine that that same person just said something extremely positive about you. Instantly, your view of him or her goes up. You look more favorably on them instinctively. Why? We like those who like us. It's hard to dislike someone that you know really likes you. And so we leverage that, and you're exactly right. The research shows by engaging in something as simple as a little warm-up, a uh, little small talk, chit-chat, people think that you like them, and that boosts their perception of you, and they're now 
we respond much more favorably to the ideas of those that we like and who like us than to those that, that don't. And we have the tools now that, you know, as salespeople that we didn't have, let's say when you got started in sales, and certainly when I got started in sales, to go into the conversation armed yes. with something that gives us something to talk about. You know, we can look at people's LinkedIn profile, their social profiles, their digital footprints, see what they're interested in, see what they're talking about. And there's no excuse for not being prepared to do that. That's so true. In fact, we talk about this in our training and in the book as well about how important a positive emotional state is, how that so the emotions we feel so influences our perception. It's alarming. Uh, we even cite a study, one of the most famous studies in this area was judicial rulings. They found that when judges were in a negative, let's say, judges were in a positive emotional state, they gave parole about 65% of the time. When they were in a negative emotional state, it was virtually zero. In fact, this caused so many people to go, what in the world is going on here? I mean, one thing should be, should be objective, it's judicial rulings, but they found that emotions sway our percep perception so much. And one way to engage people with positive emotions and build rapport is, as you just mentioned, talk about topics that are packed with positive emotions. And you can find that out from Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, you know, a vacation they went on, if they're a president of a local Toastmaster club, some award they just won uh, for their company. All these things you can bring up, and it's rich with positive emotions, and it makes them feel better as they talk about them, and it starts the sales call for a very productive, and it humanizes the encounter as well. Well, another key point you had in your, your book that I've actually... Now, I've adopted into to my emails and <laughs> emails because I used to do it in person and on the phone, but I wasn't doing it in my, my emails, is uh, asking people how they're feeling as opposed to saying, geez, I hope everything's going well for you, which is sort of a standard, standard open. But asking the question found that that actually increased your compliance or increased compliance on the part of the, the prospect. It does. In fact, uh, this is one of the most controversial parts of the book. I don't really consider the controversy, uh, but others do, because people say, well, I don't like asking those questions. And well, I get that, but I, equally, I don't care, because we look at the science, and the science <laughs> yeah, is right. pretty, pretty compelling in this matter, regardless of your perception. Why is it? Because when you ask people, you know, how are you feeling this evening, uh, what they found is over 95% will say fine or good or something like that. And as we talk about in the book, there's some principles that leverages that now people are more likely to to be willing to listen to and comply with your request. So it's a very simple thing that will make a, a noticeable difference. They've tested that in numerous ways, like we talk about in the book. We reveal the actual studies and walk you through why that is in detail. But it's something very simple that a lot of people say, well, that sounds salesy. Okay, but <laughs> what the reality is, is that it works. And that's what we're all here to do, right? We're here to be more effective. And so the science shows us that. In fact, it's, it's called, and it even has a name. It's so well-established in behavioral science, so many studies. They call it the foot-in-the-mouth effect, the foot-in-the-mouth effect, if you want to research it for yourself even further. So, yeah, in part, it really boils down to how you say it. I mean, yes. So often now it's a throwaway. Hey, how you doing? And, and especially some people sort of get over familiar. Hey, how you doing, man? Or hey, how you doing, dude? Or buddy or whatever. But it's like if you ask, stop, and the question stands alone. Hey, <laughs> hey, David. So how you doing today? Right. And, you and stop. then I'll say, good. How are you? And yeah. 
Yeah. But as opposed to just, uh, hey, this is Andy. Hey, how you doing? I don't want to talk to you today about, and this is what you hear, right? Right. It's just inserted in there. Very so it's like everything. If you're not present, if you're not focused yes. on the buyer, give them a chance to answer the question yes. and ask it sincerely and authentically, then yeah, they take it for what it is. You're just, you're just a salesperson. You're exactly right. Delivery matters. And then also to your point a minute ago, which I think is the key to all this science and really effective selling is you said focus on the buyer. That's what this is all about. Because oftentimes when we look at how should we sell, we we look at what we want to do. Or I say we try to innovate by looking in the mirror, right? We look at what others around us are doing and say, hey, let's copy Bob over there. He seems to ask questions well. Instead, we're forgetting about the main person in the in the whole equation, which is the buyer. And so what the science forces us to do as sales professionals is it says, stop thinking about yourself. Look and focus solely on the buyer. Stop trying to innovate by looking in the mirror. Stop trying to analyze what other people around you are doing that may or may not be effective. Look at the buyer and say, okay, let's focus. How how do we Based on what we know, how do we meet this person's needs? How do we help them understand the value that our product or service can provide? How do we solve their meaningful problems that they have? And mm-hmm. we're focusing on that buyer, and that's really the big differentiator, that science helps us focus on the only person we should be focusing on, and that is the buyer, instead of always trying to inject ourselves into selling. And that's, I think, that's a lot of where we get, get wrong, is we, we sell to a version of ourselves. I meet salespeople that do this all the time. Instead of trying to understand their buyer, they say, now, what would I want if I were in the buyer situation? <laughs> and I'm like, no, don't do that, because you're not right. the buyer, and your assumptions will often be wrong and inaccurate, and that'll do a disservice to that buyer. So remove yourself from the equation and focus solely on that buyer, and that's how you can really meet people's needs and establish a high level of trust and rapport. Well, and also when you're dealing with this issue of perceptions, and we talk about focusing on the buyer, I wrote about this just a couple weeks ago and and got a lot of positive responses, especially if you're an inside sales rep, an SDR, you're an AE, turn off your phone and put it away before you call the buyer. You you have to get rid of distractions and potential interruptions because even if you take your focus off the buyer for five seconds, they're going to catch it. Mm -hmm. And if they do, then negative perceptions can be formed and it's extremely difficult to change that. Absolutely well said. Well, I was just writing something as well about eye contact on the phone, which is an odd topic. But even when you're on the phone, sometimes it's easy for us to get distracted. And usually where our eyes go, our mind follows shortly after. So even when you're on the phone, be very mindful of what you're looking at. Even though you can't see your buyer, if you start surfing the web or you get distracted by emails that might be popping up, all of a sudden there's that disconnect. And as you just mentioned, Andy, and rightly so, we may think um, they're not going to know. Oh, no, they, they know. Even unconsciously, they pick up there's a lapse in rapport, and bad things happen. So be very mindful of that. You're exactly right. Yeah, I mean, if you want to give an example, and I give the, this example because I'm guilty of it all the time. My wife calls me, and, I, <laughs> and she'll stop like 30 <laughs> seconds in the conversation and go, so what's that email say? I'm saying, what are you talking about? <laughs> and she just absolutely knows. Yeah, yeah, I could, I could give a, a very similar example of what are you, what are you reading? Uh, <laughs> what, what are you reading? It's just no, an no. article. Okay, I'll stop. You yeah. know, and they, and they can tell. Yeah, and and you know, you and I think, uh, you know, we're fooling everyone, but no, you know, we have no. to kind of eat abs- our own cooking sometimes, which absolutely. is absolutely. Um, yeah. 
Well, another another part of the the book that I thought was really interesting I wanted to talk about um, is <laughs> the studies have been done about value of extroverts versus introverts versus the term you use, which I think is a really interesting term, ambiverts. Mm-hmm. Um, and let, let's dig into that because, yeah, we have this still, the sales culture that's oriented towards, if you look at job listings for open sales positions, yep. somewhere in there you're going to find the word extrovert, aggressive, hunter, you know, sort of very testosterone-laden type, mm-hmm. type uh, descriptions. And as you point out, the study shows that you know, on the extremes of extroversion and introversion, actually, they don't perform very well compared to people that perhaps embody elements of both. You're exactly right. And, and that's one of the surprising research studies, probably one of the most surprising ones that have been sales specific. People always go into these studies assuming, and they confess this uh, in these scientific journals, they go, our assumptions were, were that extroverts will perform introverts significantly. And what they all find, this is not one study now, this is about eight or nine different studies conducted by different people have all come to the exact same conclusion, that when you look at introverts and extroverts, there's not that big a difference. Extroverts do outperform introverts slightly, but what's really interesting is who outperforms extroverts, and that is what the researchers refer to as ambiverts, which are those, if you think of extroversion on one side of the scale and introverts on the other side, ambiverts are directly in the middle. And they kind of have the best of both worlds. They get some of the great qualities from introverts and they get some of the highly um, uh, necessary qualities from extroverts. And they're able to outperform extroverts at a ratio of two to one. So it's not a small ratio, it's huge. And why this matters, as you mentioned, a lot of times we're looking for the wrong group of people when we're hiring. And in fact, a lot of these testing they give salespeople before they hire them specifically ask questions looking for extroversion. Oh, yeah, and absolutely. In doing so, we're, we're neglecting our assumptions are wrong because they're just that. They're our assumptions and they're not based on any concrete data. And so when we look at the science, it tells us, and if you think about who are the best salespeople you know, almost always when I tell groups or, or individuals this about extroverts and introverts and ambiverts, they always say, oh yeah, that makes sense. Because when I think of the best salespeople I've ever worked with, they're ambiverts. They're not mm-hmm. extreme extroverts. They're not extreme introverts. They're right in the middle. Yeah, that's where I feel I fit. When I was reading yeah. that description, I'd never heard the the term ambivert. I hadn't recalled hearing it before. And I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, that sort of fits me. And it fits a lot of, as you said, people. I started thinking about people I knew that have been really successful mm-hmm. in, in sales. And, yeah, they sort of fall into that, that middle range. Yeah, it's amazing. And so that's just one of the really simple ideas that science has gotten right. And oftentimes in sales, we've gotten wrong. Why? Because we're basing it on... Well, anecdotal evidence or our perceptions, ultimately just conjecture. We're trying to guess our way to success. And once you look at just some of this basic science, you go, wow, okay, I need to really align how I sell with the science, which is very practical. I don't want the term science to dissuade anyone. This is extremely practical. It's extremely easy to understand and apply. And it gets results, which is the most important thing. Yeah, absolutely. And and I second that. I mean, lots of good stuff coming out of the book. And sort of one last point I want to make before we take a short break is is that there are people, and I had an email from somebody, uh, gosh, just a week ago, who, as I reacted to my uh, interview with Robert Cialdini, who was on the show, and and talking about influence, and and to this person, the, all the talk of influence felt manipulative, right? Mm. And 
and felt like it was a hard sell. But it's, it's not about the hard sell. I mean, to me, it's it's about how do I how do I you know build a rapport with the prospect that gets them to the point where they're going to say, yeah, I'll give you more time to continue to sell to me. I completely agree. Yeah, there's a lot of concern people have. Well, is this, I don't want to get into influence because it's manipulative. There's a lot of issues with that. Number one, the very statement itself, because the statement is influential. So you have to borrow from that which you're against to even make the case, right? Because you're, mm. you're trying to influence someone that influence is manipulative. <laughs> so, you know, right there, the, and the argument falls apart because uh, you have to borrow from it. Uh, the, the, there is an important question of the difference between you know, persuasion and manipulation. But I go with the Aristotelian viewpoint that persuasion and influence in and of itself is very noble. If you think about, we're all professional influencers. That's how our economy is based on. Our legal system is based on. Our democracy is based mm-hmm. on influence. We put forth ideas. We argue vigorously with the belief that the people will We'll choose the right idea for them. So we have our faith in that democracy. And um, so I'm very pro. I look at it as a um, – that's how truth is revealed. How That's what Aristotle said many, many years ago. I think the difference between when persuasion real quickly becomes corrupted and it's manipulative, there's a number of things. The two biggest things I think we struggle with in selling is intention, making mm-hmm. sure that it's actually in the best interest of another person, what we're selling them, and then withholding it and distorting truth, making sure we're giving people all the information and not being not lying or withholding certain pieces of evidence that they need to know. So I'm very pro-influence, pro-persuasion, and I haven't seen a good argument to, to throw it out yet. And like I said, I don't think you can even construct one without leveraging that which you're against. Okay, excellent. So David, now we're the last segment of the show. I've got some standard questions I ask all my guests. And the first one starts with a hypothetical scenario where you, David, had just been hired. In fact, you maybe have experienced this. You've just been hired as VP of sales by a company whose sales are stalled out, and it's time to hit the reset button and get a do a sales turnaround, get things back on track. So what two steps would you take your first week on the job that could have the biggest impact? Number one, I want to assess all the salespeople that I'd be working with, understand, you know, who do I have? What are our strengths? What are our weaknesses? Um, I would want to understand them so that I can make the biggest impact on them right away. Because as we've already talked about, salespeople are so essential. And so if I want to create that change, first I have to understand before I can create any kind of change initiative. That would be number one. Number two, I want to really understand the marketplace that we're in and, and the product that we're selling or service that we're selling inside and out. Because I I think the days of being a generalist are over. In sales, we have to know what we're talking about inside and out. So if you sell a product or service, you have to know that product inside and out. And so those are the two things that I would focus on my first week. And you need to know the customer inside and out. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I agree. I, I, I had written an article, sir, with that title. You know, would, would you rather hire a generalist or a specialist? So, um, you know, if you have a heart condition, do you go to your family practice person or do you go to a cardiologist? Mm-hmm. So... <laughs> All right, some rapid-fire questions for you. You can be one-word answers. You can elaborate if you wish. So when you, David, are out selling, Mm -hmm. what's your most powerful sales attribute? Understanding. 
I am relentlessly focused on understanding my potential customer so that I can give relentless value. That's a, that's a key principle at my firm when I sell and when my people sell on my behalf is you never talk to a customer without giving value. You never call someone up and say, hey, I'm just following up on that proposal I sent you. Do you have any questions? No. You always got to give value. So we want to always give value. So I want to understand my customer because if I don't understand what, they, what matters to them, what they need, I really can't give value. So we're relentless on understanding our customer as really the foundation. Okay. So who's your sales role model? Let's see. I'll give you two. Uh, My first sales manager, Paul Wynn, I first got started in selling actually at the job where they promised Mm. (laughs) $100,000. It wasn't real. Um, in the first few months, I was brand new to sales. He took me under his wing and just really gave me some good sales advice, spent a lot of time with me every day. I was as green as you could get. I started reading books, but he was very influential on me and really showed me what a salesperson was supposed to be like and what you could do when you got mastery of your craft. Another one that many of our listeners might be familiar with that I have so much respect for who recently retired is Dave Stein. Right. Dave Stein is a legend in the sales training world. He has, I actually acknowledge him in my book because some of his research was foundational in my thinking about seven, eight years ago and really led me down this path to even writing the book. And so um, anything that he's written, he wrote a great book called Beyond the Sales Process that just mm-hmm. came out last year. Yep. Yeah, I interviewed uh, him awesome and Steve book. Anderson for the show. Yes, yep. highly recommend that book. So he's one of my sales heroes as well. Excellent. Good choice. All right. Uh, Besides your own, what's one book you'd recommend every salesperson should read? I'll go with, uh, since I just mentioned it, Beyond the Sales Process. And here's why. Uh, It really, the contribution there is it focuses your attention on what happens before buyers signal they're ready to buy and what happens after they buy from you. So how do you really position yourself? What I got a lot of value out of was how do you position yourself before the sale and after the sale? Something we often don't think about or talk about that much. And so I think Stein and Anderson really give some really rock solid ideas on helping us open our minds to think more holistically about that buyer journey and experience rather than just the part that we're directly involved in when they signal hey, I'm ready to buy. So really, I, I thought it was a very unique book and had a lot of great contributions. Yep, I agree. Yeah, heartily recommend it. All right, so uh, last question for you. What music is on your playlist these days? I've been doing something a little odd recently, and that is I, um, I've been listening to on YouTube a lot of um, nature sounds, ocean sounds. I, hmm. I kind of have two speeds. I have uh, I hit the gas or I... Take it off the gas. We don't. I don't do mediocre or, or balance very well. I'm kind of all mm-hmm. in or not at all. And sometimes it's hard for me at the end of the day, late at night, actually, to just stop, calm my mind down. And so one of the things I'm doing, and that I've gotten some results with the last few weeks, is I'll just you know on YouTube if you put in like ocean sounds or, right. or rain sounds. And it sounds very realistic. And just listening to that for 15, 20 minutes while I'm reading or just just sit there and relax, I found it just calms my mind and it puts me in a relaxed state very quickly. So that's, oddly enough, um, that's really helped me just calm down at the end of the day and and get ready for bed. Excellent. Oh, good suggestion. I like that. In fact, you probably do that with your uh, Amazon Echo, I imagine. Mm. Let's try that. We just got one for, uh, for Christmas. So, okay. Well, David, thank you so much for joining me. It's fabulous talking with you. So tell people they can find out more about you and connect with you. 
Yeah, go to our website, Huffeld, H-O-F-F-E-L-D, group.com. You can learn more about our uh, sales training, consulting, and coaching. We also have a free resource center with all kind of awesome articles, blogs, white papers, podcasts that you can listen to as well. And then, of course, the book, The Science of Selling, is available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and anywhere fine books are sold. You can pick up your copy today. Excellent. Good. Well, I would recommend people do are listening to the show do run out and pick up a copy. It'd be well worth their time. So, David, thank you again. And friends, thank you for spending this time with us. Remember, make it part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success. And easy way to do that is join my conversations with top business experts like my guest today, David Hoffeld, who shared his expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your business. So, thanks again for joining me. And until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. <laughs> 